Jets fans, thank you for tuning in for another episode of Jet Nation Radio. I am your host, Glenn Naughton. I will be with you for roughly the next hour or so. We'll see how things go. As we've said a few times over the last couple of weeks, this is sort of the, the slow time in the NFL season, the, the dead season, if you will, which really is, is, is unique. It's what makes the NFL unique. They do such a good job of stretching out the season and making, you know, the league makes themselves relevant probably 10 and a half, 11 months out of the year. You're either getting ready for the season or you're getting ready for the draft or you're getting ready for free agency or you're getting ready for OTAs or you're getting ready for training camp, you know, of course, as a fan, I mean. And there's always something right around the corner or something, even though it may not be right around the corner, it's a big enough deal that you can spend a good couple of months talking about it like the draft. Um, But at the moment, we're still a a little over a month away from training camp getting underway. But once it's here, that will be a great time. Uh, We're all looking very forward to it. So tonight's show, we're going to cover a few different things. We will have on, once again, as per usual, Christian Dyer of of Metro New York, who does cover the Jets and Giants, will be joining us to talk a little bit about uh, not just just Sam Darnold, because, uh, you know, as excited as we are about Sam Darnold and any Jets fan in their right mind, is pretty excited about that whole situation, but uh, we don't want to beat that to death. But w- one thing I was, I'm, I'm actually working on a, just a little, taking a little look right now, doing an article on a, looking at the last five, I was going to do the last five years, I ended up doing six, because five years ago there were no quarterbacks taken in the top five. But if you look back over the last five years, or six years rather, QBs taken in the top five, it seems like there are more hits than misses. And even some of the misses, you know, there's some injury situations and things like that. So, you know, the draft always has been, always will be a crapshoot. Nothing's guaranteed. But it seems over the last few years, uh, teams have done quite well with quarterbacks they've taken in the top five. And, uh, of course, our very own Sam Darnold fits that description. Um, We'll also talk a little bit about the offensive line and and not just the offensive line play and what we expect because we've talked quite a bit about that this offseason. But taking a look at the contracts, that some of these guys are under. Um, some guys are on long-term deals that are about to expire. Other guys are in the middle of long-term deals with little cap ramifications if let go. And uh, and how this offensive line might look next season if these guys don't uh, don't improve. If guys like James Carpenter, you know, uh, James Carpenter, if he doesn't improve, if Brian Winters doesn't improve, if Spencer Long can't stay healthy, um, th- these are all guys who, when you take a look at their deals. It's uh, it, there's a good good chance the Jets would move on from a couple of their starters if need be if they don't step it up this year. So we'll talk a little bit uh, with Christian about that. That's that should be a an interesting one. And we're also going to have one of our brand new writers, uh, Harrison Glazer, who joined Jet Nation uh, about a month ago. Harrison's put out a few nice articles for us. He is a very passionate Jets fan. I've spoken to him several times. He uh, he bleeds green and white like the rest of us. He's going to come on and talk a little bit about Steve McClendon on the D-line, who gets plenty of praise from us on this show. And um, basically he did a, a, a little piece for us a few weeks ago talking about McClendon. We're also going to take a look at the young corners on the roster, the guys that were taken not just this year in the draft, um, but some of the guys that were drafted last year and you know maybe some of the undrafted free agents and, and kind of take a look at who might make this roster. 
because there's you know there's not a lot of established depth, which is I mean they just have a lot of position groups where the depth isn't established. So you know really they're bodies at this point. You can't you can't really call it depth. Everyone's got a bunch of players at each position, but uh, the jet the depth the Jets have at corner on the O line things like that are going to come into question. So we'll talk a little bit about that. We might just kind of hop around and, and touch on a few different subjects, um, Harrison and Harrison and I. So just uh, just kicking back, taking a quick peek here at the the Week 17 Jets matchup, Jets Pats. Um, trying to get a, a second look. Well, I don't know how many times I've watched this one. A few times, maybe a fourth, fifth look at how the Jets played that Week 17 game. Uh, primarily wanting to get a good look at Neil Sterling. Uh, we've talked about him a little bit this offseason. He's a guy who really did uh, who really did a nice job in, in what was his only true extended action last season. Um, I sent out a tweet a couple weeks ago pointing out the fact that in whatever, however many snaps he played, 500 snaps, 600 snaps, Austin Safarian Jenkins didn't have a single reception of over 30 yards. Now, to be fair, he did have one or two, sort of 28, 29. Um, but Neil Sterling comes in, and in his first meaningful action of the year, um, playing with Bryce Petty, mind you, not not the luxury of Josh McCown, which Austin Safarian Jenkins had all year. And uh, he had a 35-yarder in this game against New England. And as a guy who's a converted wide receiver, probably, uh, you know, he started out his career with Jacksonville. Probably a little better, a little bit better speed than you uh, than you see with tight ends. But I mean that is changing. You see so many guys who can who can move nowadays because of the way the position has evolved. And you see a lot more, you know, a lot more players out there, a lot more tight ends who are far more athletic than they than they were in years past. But Neil Sterling is a he's he's an interesting option. You know, he's a guy the Jets clearly like because when you see these guys who are whether it's a bottom-of-the-roster guy or a practice squad guy. Anytime you see a guy who's consistently, you know, he may be a fringe guy, but the team kind of keeps going back to the well. They keep, you know, a, a roster spot frees up, and they, they bring a guy back. And that, that, that is what happened with uh, Neil Sterling last year. The Jets brought him on board, had him in the building for a short time, then they had to waive him to make room for someone else. Uh, then there was an injury, and I forget exactly who it was, but I just know that it was – well, a couple weeks later, and, uh, and all of a sudden, Neil Sterling is back. He was getting he was getting some snaps, but he wasn't really seeing any targets. Uh, but he's a versatile guy. Not I wouldn't put him in the same class as, as Quincy Inunua in terms of his you know his ability to block as an H back or something you know along those lines. But I think that he's a guy who can do a little bit of that. He can be that that versatile player that Inunua was a couple of years ago. Because even if Quincy Inunua was 100 percent. We don't know what his role is going to be. If the Jets are going to kind of keep him on the outside, where he has said he, he said this off season, he wants to focus. You know, moving forward, he wants to be more of a, a exclusively a receiver and play on the outside, and that may be better for him for his career in terms of uh, dealing with this injury he had last year, the bulging disc that you know cost him the entire season. Maybe they just like the idea of moving him outside and keeping him out there, and uh, and limit the the physical some of the contact he's gonna he's gonna have to put up with if you bring him inside at H back or tight end or anywhere in there where he's gonna mix it up with linebackers and defensive ends. So that remains to be seen, and if that's what they want to do with him, maybe they may be looking for someone who's somewhat similar to what Inunua was, and 
I would say that Sterling's probably the 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 closest thing they have on the roster to what Quincy Nunwa was. I'm not saying he's he's as good or he's as explosive because let's face it, Quincy Nunwa, um and you know, we've talked about this before, he's far more explosive than he gets credit for. And I think that that is sometimes a case where because because of the fact that he's so physical, people forget how fast he is too. He's uh he's a four four five guy. He ran that that was his forty time at Indy. And as I said, he said he wants to he wants to live a little bit more on the outside this year and and that may benefit him in the long run. So perhaps that's the route the Jets take, and we'll see once camp opens up, and you know when when reports start flowing in of where where these guys are lining up and whether or not they have Inunua in his H back role or if he's he's exclusively a receiver because you know don't forget of course with Herndon on board he's a guy who can block a little bit. So between Herndon and Sterling, you may have a couple of guys who can play tight end and H-back and allow Noonwa to do what he's looking to do, which is line up more on the outside. Um, also just wanted to touch very quickly, uh, touch on uh, or just take a second to thank our sponsor, Mile Social. Mile Social, they will help your business with social media, websites, and your SEOs. Check them out at milesocial.com. That's M-I-L-E social. Mile Social, managing your social media for your small business. So now, joining us on Jet Nation Radio, I'm going to bring on, as I said just a few moments ago, one of our our newest writers. We've added a we've added a few uh, a few names to our roster recently, and we like what we've been getting from from some of these guys. We had you know Dan Fika was on a couple weeks ago, and now we're joined by Harrison Glazer. Who's uh, who's been with us for a few weeks and he's he's done a really nice job. Harrison, are you there? Uh yeah, I am, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks, uh, thanks for calling in. Uh, thought we'd get an opportunity to get you on the air and, and uh, introduce yourself to some of our our listeners because you know the, in the, the couple times we've spoken and I said it at the top when I said we'd be having you on. You're definitely a a diehard, passionate fan. Uh, Tend to tend to look at the bright side of things, and which you know, I think I think we don't do that enough as Jets fans sometimes because we've been through we've been through enough of the negative that it seems like the, it seems like that's all there ever is, especially coming <laughs> off of a pair of five yeah, and eleven that seasons. Light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. Is I said it the night they drafted Darnold, and I've said it many times since then. If if you can't be excited about this team right now, uh, you know I hate using cliches and all that, but but you know what the hell. It, what are you going to get excited about? I understand the Super Bowl is the goal, but you know, for God's sakes, you know they're, they're, you're also allowed to have some enjoyment between now and what will hopefully one day be a Jets Super Bowl win with Sam Darnold under center. But uh, yeah, if you can't be excited about getting Sam Darnold and heading into next year with a hundred million dollars in cap space, you didn't have to give up your first round pick to get Darnold. So you got a first, you got a hundred million, you got your franchise quarterback, you got a bunch of good receivers. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there's a lot to be excited about. I know a lot of Jets fans don't share that sentiment, um, but you know, look, as, you know, I said before, some people are just you know determined to be miserable. But um, on the bright side of things, one guy that I, I've spoken about frequently on this show, um, written a few articles on him over the years. I know you did something for us recently, um, Steve McClendon, guy who's a little bit older, you know, about 30 years old, came over from Pittsburgh a couple seasons ago. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Where does he fit in this D line, and and not not just on the field, but in terms of uh, and I, I guess I'm kind of answering the question for you here, but just get your thoughts on, you know, he's always from the day he got here, he's just struck me as like the consummate professional, 
and the type of guy you want your young players to learn from. So, so what are your thoughts on Steve McClendon? I I could I completely agree with what you're saying. McClendon has been a great pickup for the Jets ever since they got him. Uh, as a six-year Steeler, he was you know an average player for them. They decided to let him walk, which was a great situation for us. As you know, we had Damon Snacks Harrison, which everybody remembers the infamous story of how he would talk about how he would put his hands in rice and squeeze to make his grip stronger. He was just a brute force in the trenches. So they brought McClendon in, hoping he could you know recapture some of that. He totally has. I mean, he's brought at least he has five sacks over his first two seasons as a Jet. He's been a better than average player. And last year, if you look at even what uh, Roto World and PFF have said about him, he was actually second in the whole league for run tackles for loss or no gain as an interior defender. Now, again, I'm not saying he's one of the best in the league, but he's been better than average. He's been very solid, especially, you know, at 32 years old, they tend to think players start to decline at this time, but he's still been playing very consistent football, and his attitude, as you mentioned, is just stellar. He's a complete leader in the locker room. The players love him. They love talking with him, his camaraderie. He seems to be the guy that whenever the team is losing or in a bad situation, he gets them going. He riles them up. He gets everyone excited. He's definitely been a great addition. For whatever money, I think they're paying him two-something million this year. He's worth every penny they pay him. Yeah, he's absolutely. he's been a bargain, and for some reason, and I'm even guilty of it, even, even as somebody who's a, a supporter of Mike McCagnin, um, you rarely hear McCagnin get any credit for signing, uh, for, for adding Steve McClendon at a relatively affordable price and for the play he's gotten out of him. And, I, you know, a lot of that comes with the fact that he's an interior lineman and, and a lot of fans, you know, your casual fans, if, if you're not a guy who's getting eight, nine, ten sacks a year, they just, you know, oh, well, that guy sucks. He, well, which, you know, which is true, were, and I, I can they, I can understand. I would say though that I, I feel a lot of fans were kind of upset, you know, because we'd lost Damon Snacks Harrison, and they were hoping that they would find someone of that caliber. But people have to remember he was commanding an insane amount of money. If they look at what the Giants are paying him right now, that would have been a huge hit that the Jets can't really afford for a two-down run-stop defender, no matter how good he is. So that's really yeah, one I, of the problems. I, I think feel with, like a I lot think of with Harrison, uh, I think. What really gets a lot of fans is that they gave the money to Mo, and really the fact that Mo just uh, went on a permanent vacation once he got his big contract, and you yeah. look at what Damon Harrison is doing. You know, you'd rather have Damon Harrison destroying interior linemen, uh, you know, for two downs, than uh, than have Mo Wilkerson, who's you know basically taking plays off for three downs. So I, I think you know, but but that's all hindsight. You know what I mean, people. It's easy to look back and say we should have done this, we should have done that. But, but look, most people, myself included, supported the Mo Wilkerson thing when they let him go, uh, when they when they signed him, when they let Snacks go. Uh, a lot of I think I think a lot of fa- you know a lot of times it's sour grapes. I think there were fans who realized who good, how good he was, but then there were there were some fans who didn't. And I heard a lot of like, so what? Doesn't matter. Two down guy. And I thought, yeah, you know, he's a two down guy who makes it third and eight instead of third and one. You know, when you're on defense, he's that kind of guy. But either way, he's gone. McClendon has done a really nice job filling in for him. It shows up on film on Sundays. It shows up on, you know, it shows up in his PFF grades, you know, a lot of the analytics sites. He gets a lot of praise. From, you know, from from the the evaluators who aren't just looking at sacks. 
because I think we are, you know, a lot of fans, especially your your casual fans, are so obsessed with sack numbers and tackle numbers that when they don't see a huge number of sacks, they just assume a guy isn't any good. However, that's not really his role in this defense. Um, he doesn't play a true nose very often, but he is an interior guy at DT. And uh, and check it out if you get a chance. Jet, go to JetNation.com. And uh, nice article in there on, on Steve McClendon where – where uh, you know we take a look at at how how good he has been and really how underappreciated. And as I said, I've always been a big fan of his his professionalism because he he's a guy who on a bad day, big loss, he's a guy who's always there. You know, it seems like he's one of the first names you hear. You know, when you're listening to that post game radio show, McClendon always seems to be a guy who hangs back to do some talking and you know he basically seems he holds himself and the team accountable. And that's what you want for some of these, especially some of these young linemen that are coming on, coming on board. Yeah, now, 100%. Yeah, now in terms of the corners, you did another piece for us, and, and really it, it's such a, an important situation right now with the cornerbacks because while the secondary, you know, we would all agree is improved by adding Tremaine Johnson, uh, moving Mo Claiborne over here to your number two corner, no one really knows what Perry Nickerson's going to bring, but we're all optimistic but really, in terms of, you know, I always, and I, I was talking about it earlier in the show, I always talk about established depth because, you know, people say, oh, we have depth here, we have depth there. And it, it, it's fine to be optimistic, but until some of these guys have done something, you don't have any established depth. And the Jets don't really have that. So I'll talk about some of these young corners that you wrote about, um, what you like about them, who you think might make the roster, and, uh, you know, and why you think they have a shot. Definitely, yeah, and I completely agree with what you're saying, how we, we, a lot of the corners are, you know, unproven at this point. They're very young. I mean, we have some guys like Daryl Roberts with some years of experience who has proven as a pretty good, you know, third, fourth cornerback, possibly yeah. a serviceable second, but we have a lot of young guys, you know, coming in, like you said. Like, I really like Jeremy Clark, mainly because of his measurables. You have a tall guy, very physical, reminds me a lot of Tremaine Johnson. Uh, and if you look at his play in the Big Ten, he was actually ranked quite high as a Big Ten cornerback when he was on the field, before he got his ACL injury. So seeing him mm-hmm. come back healthy could be quite interesting. Uh, there's guys like Derek Jones, who's a converted wide receiver, which his physical ability is off the charts because of, as being a former wide receiver, he has great hands, great agility, great ability. Uh, you mentioned Perry Nickerson before. Has a lot to prove, but the footage on him at the Combine, his speed is, is ridiculous. I believe he ran a 4 three, uh, definitely under a 4-4, four, 4-3 four, four, something. And I, I want to say it was a 4-3-2. It was ridiculous, yeah, and his hands are off the chart. I know some people compared him to, like, a tiny Malik Hooker, <laughs> which is a little bit of a stretch, but he does have an innate ability of finding the ball on the field, yep. which is just great. So if he can really materialize into a slot corner, could potentially push Buster Screen for his position, depending on how he looks in camp. Uh, and then, like I said, we have a lot of other guys like Jeremy Clark could be very exciting. If he potentially, like, I'm hoping he might, you know, shadow Tremaine Johnson, learn from him a little bit. If he gets his coverage down, he could be a very physically demanding force just like Tremaine, which is just something very exciting as well. And then we also have guys like Xavier Coleman, who is just a wonderful story. I mean, uh, as a young kid at 14, he had heart surgery. He had lots of problems as a child. He overcame them. In interviews, he talks about how he got a second chance at life and wants to make everything of it. Just everything you read about him, you want to see him succeed. And he just seems like he has the attitude and the tenacity to potentially even carve out a role himself. 
Yeah, he's a guy that's uh, he, he's a tough guy not to root for. And I, I spoke Christian Dyer, who will be joining uh, joining us later on the show. Uh, Christian Dyer and I talked about him several weeks ago. I think it was even pre-draft because yeah, it was before Nickerson was on the scene, and talked about him as a guy who could find a way to sneak onto this roster because one thing I one I think there's a big misconception with with Buster Screen, and and I'm not saying this you know I don't I don't dislike Buster Screen as as much as many Jets fans do. I feel like last season was his best as a Jet. I don't think he was great. Um, sometimes people have a tendency where if you say one nice thing about someone, they they take the leap that you're putting them in Canton, which which I'm not. I'm I just I think Buster Screen was better than a lot of people realized last year. He, yes, he did have some stinkers. He had some bad games, but he had some really good games too. And and you know this is a, with, with a new different or new secondary coach. You know maybe maybe it's a step in the right direction for him with a new position coach, but really. I hear a lot of, oh, thank God, now Buster Screen can go back to the slot where he's at his best. Buster Screen, if you look at the numbers, and, you know, for me, when I watch him, and and when you look at his, you know, yards allowed per catch and things of this nature that that, that PFF and, and other sites use, he's not a lot better in the slot than he is on the boundary. His numbers are pretty similar across the board. Um, and they're not great, but I, I, when I when I say that I don't, you know that, that I'm okay with Buster Screen being on the roster. It's because I realize there are so many bad DBs in the league right now that he's probably you know slightly below average. And then if you want to consider you know corners, their main job is to cover. If you want to talk about his willingness to stick his face in the fan in the run game, then maybe you bump him up to average or slightly above average. And really, when you look at some of the corner play around the league there's plenty of room for average to slightly below average corners because there are a lot of really bad ones. But when I hear people say, oh, well, now he'll be better because he'll be in the screen, or, you know, sorry, he'll be in the screen, he'll be in the slot, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see him as being this great slot corner um, who can't play the boundary. I see him as a guy who is streaky. He sometimes, he'll play well for phases on the boundary and he'll play well for stretches in the slot. But there's not any one area where you look at and say, oh, well, he's, he, you're set if you have him there. And that's why I think a guy like Coleman has a shot to make the roster, and that's why I think Nickerson is a, could be a factor. And The Jets like screen. Obviously, they've kept him around. He's, he's got a decent, decent uh, cap hit this year, around $7.5 million. Um, but they kept him, and I think they will keep him, unless, somebody, unless a couple of the kids absolutely just dominate uh, preseason. I don't see any reason why Buster Screen would be let go. But uh, but you make some good points on the other corners. There are some some good young DBs on the roster, or at least you know guys with plenty of potential. And Jeremy Clark, I'm I'm curious to see what do, what do you think the chances are? Do you, do you think we see him at safety or corner? And this guy's listed at six three. You don't see a lot of six three corners. Um, and I I don't have his forty time offhand. I don't think he ran the forty actually because of the injury. Um, he doesn't look to have NFL corner speed. But if he's physical enough at the line, Todd Bowles may give him a shot. But do you think he gets a look at safety as well? Oh, yeah. That's, uh, what you were saying before was actually correct. I, I'm pretty sure he didn't do a lot of the combine and stuff because of his injury. He had torn his ACL previously to that. 
But from what they saw on footage, I mean, like I said, back in the Big Ten, there were a lot of write-ups on him. They talk about that he was actually very good in coverage, that he had good uh, eyes, good uh, read skills on the ball, and he was quite agility, able to stay with receivers even for his size, which is quite big. He's 6'3 and about 220 pounds, which is actually an inch and a couple of pounds bigger than even Tremaine Johnson. So, I mean, considering I would put him very similar to Tremaine, and right now our safety position is greatly locked down, especially, you know, with the addition of guys like Wilcox being able to come in as a third safety there. We have Brooks. I, potentially with his speed, I, I could see him, you know, locking down that second corner spot. I could. I mean, I think he has the speed to keep up with receivers in the league, and that height would just be a great uh, 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 attribution to him. I would think about an example would be somebody like Antonio Cromartie. Obviously, he doesn't have the speed like that, but that kind of ball-hawking ability to, you know, go up there and stop the big receivers from catching the balls. Yeah, I think if he could be that big physical guy, you know, in, in the mold that Todd Bowles likes, he can find himself, you know, sneaking onto this roster. But again, there's going to be a lot of competition at that spot because there are plenty of bodies on the, you know, that, that will be in camp, and not a lot of guys who are, you know, have cemented roles. And let's face it, you know, it, you're not being realistic if you don't think the, the the depth of the group will be tested because you know Morris Claiborne will get hurt at some point. It's just a matter of when he gets hurt and how long he's out for. You know, you hope that he stays healthy all year because having him as your number two isn't all that bad. But if he does go down, then you see Screen go outside and probably Nickerson or or um, or Coleman sliding to the slot in Screen's place. So that'll be something worth keeping an eye on. But uh, before uh, before you called in, one thing I was talking about, uh, the tight end position, and one player in, in particular – uh, just wanted to get your thoughts because the Jets, as we know, haven't had a great deal of production out of the tight end spot over the past few years. But they've they brought in some names now, whether it's you know draft picks, and, you know uh, some free agents they brought in, Clive Walford. But one of the more interesting guys in the group to me, local guy out of Monmouth, Neil Sterling, uh, started his career with the Jags. Didn't really see a whole lot of targets last season until Week 17. ASJ goes down. Sterling steps in and and looks like one of the you know ends up having one of the better days on offense for the Jets, pulls in a 35-yard pass from Bryce Petty and a few other balls to go along with it. What are your thoughts on Neil Sterling and the tight end group as a whole? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And um, I've mentioned how if you look at a lot of articles right now, they talk about how it's just a battle between Herndon and Leggett and Herndon and Leggett. But I don't think that's the case because you mentioned a lot of guys, and guys like Herndon and Leggett, they don't have, they have, there's nothing. There's nothing to prove there. I mean, one guy was hurt all last year, so he's basically a redshirt rookie, and the other guy is literally a rookie with a driving under the influence problem. So that could potentially sideline him as well. So I think the position is completely wide open. And Neil, uh, Neil Sterling is actually a guy I really like because uh, I don't like him as much, but the other reason I like guys like Bucky Hodges is because him and Neil Sterling were former receivers in college. So for big mm-hmm. guys, their speed is ridiculous. Like Neil Sterling and Bucky, if you look at the way they cut, they move for their size, it's quite impressive. It reminds me almost of like Brandon Marshall if he packed on a little more weight. Uh, they'd have to they talked about how he made a couple of drops in camp with pads off, but while pads have been on, they said he's been quite impressive. So I personally like Neil Sterling. Last year, if you look at his last game with Bryce Petty, he put up 74 yards in that game. Austin Safarian Jenkins never put up 74 yards in any game last year, and Neil Sterling did that with Bryce Petty. (laughs) Imagine what he can do with Sam Darnold throwing him the ball. 
Yeah, and that was part of my point earlier was that, for you know, as well as he played in that Week 17 game, he didn't have the benefit of playing with Josh McCown, who, you know, let's face it, had a nice season. And, and, and it, you know, in fairness to, to Austin Safarian Jenkins, I did say many times throughout the season, and, and we'll find out this year with him playing in Atlanta now, um, you know, was it the play calling? Did they just not envision him as a guy who could get down the field? Because as big as Austin Safarian Jenkins was and as, as nice as it was to see him get off to a, a decent start when he got back from his suspension, he, um, you know, he averaged seven yards a catch on the year. You know, which is sort of unheard of in this day and age for a, a, you know, a guy who plays that position at his size. Guys get targeted down the field a little bit, and you just didn't see it with him. You know, and I actually uh, was looking at some of his numbers the other day, and, and I said at the top of the show he did have a couple catches for 28, 29 yards, but those were really early in the year. Um, and beyond that, especially down the stretch, the last five, six games, he didn't have a touchdown. I don't think he had more than three catches in the game. And, again, you know, two catches for 12 yards, these kind of stat lines. And it surprised me that how much I've heard Jets fans talk about how much the Jets are going to miss him. Um, and I, 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 would, I would attribute him. that to, like you were saying, just do the, the, the complete lack of tight end production. I mean, if we had somebody even remotely putting up uh, – 500 yards a season, they wouldn't talk about that. But like you said, just due to the lack of production, they're just looking for something. One thing I do notice interesting about Safarian Jenkins, though, because it's the feeling of mine, because, you know, we are, we are in a New York market, and, you know, mistakes, fans, you know, will jump all over you. I do think the reason they also didn't want to give as much money to Safarian Jenkins was, remember, there were a lot of controversial calls with him throughout the season. Remember, there were two touchdowns right. that were called back. That were that were one of them was game costing actually cost us the game. There were two that were called back. There were other plays that were questionable. So I think that could have potentially factored into why they wouldn't want to dole out as much money as he was looking for. Yeah, I think you look at those drops. I mean, they they were tough calls, but at the same time, you know, if, if you want to be paid that kind of money, you hold on to those. Exactly. You got to make look those, at the drop yeah. touchdown he had. That way, I mean, right through his hands against Carolina, the eat the gimme. I think it was in the first quarter. Um, hit him in the back of the end zone, he just went right through his hands. So, really, he, he had as many drop touchdowns this year as he had touchdowns. So, I, I understand, you know, even I was on board early on when he had that quick start. I thought, oh, because I, I liked him coming out of college, too. I thought this guy's going to be a good player. Um, obviously, he had his issues, dropped some weight, stopped drinking, and was playing well enough that I was on board with, like, hey, man, if they want to extend this guy now, you know, not huge money, but if you want to give this guy a two- or three-year extension right now, I'd be totally on board with that. But then, you know, down the stretch, he, he, he disappears. And then you kind of put it all in perspective and you say, all right. He, he, had a, he had a nice little stretch early in the year. But at the end of the day, you can probably improve. You know, he, he had, what do you have, 350 yards on the season. He, he didn't put up these numbers that are going to be just irreplaceable. And I think they'll yeah. be easily replicated, if not surpassed. Because, mm. let's face it, young quarterback, shaky O-line. Uh, he might be looking for that, that, that safety valve, that tight end. Uh, more often than, you know, you might see more targets for the tight end position this year than what we saw last year. So it's going uh, to be interesting to see how that unfolds. But you mentioned Bucky Hodges. He's an interesting case because he was another guy that I liked out of college. They didn't love him, but kind of thought, oh, he's a guy who could be a, a good red zone threat, you know, six foot six. He's already been on a couple teams and cut a couple times. Yeah. Um, do, you think, do you think he's got a realistic shot? Because you know Herndon's making the roster. I, I feel like Tomlinson's a lock because he's the best blocker of the group, and and you know when he gets the rare opportunity, he does manage to hang on to the ball. So really, that leaves one or two spots for for Sterling, Leggett, Hodges. 
Walford. Um, what do you think? What do you think with Hodges? You know, the issue has been with him not being able to stick on a roster. So, being completely honest, I am. I do watch more ACC games because I am a huge ACC fan, which is why I do remember Hodges a little bit more. And I just remember in college the explosiveness and the agility for a guy of his size. He would go up and make big catches. Now, again, granted, college production doesn't necessarily obviously doesn't connotate to NFL production. But I liked what I saw, and I just thought the potential was there. Kind of like what you see, like when you watch Sterling, you watch the way he cuts and he moves, and you get excited because for a tight end, the way he moves. Is, is very impressive. It kind of you know mm-hmm. reminisces of people when they watch Anunwa, you know, playing at the wide receiver role, and they're like, this guy. It's interesting. He's got you know that hybrid ability. So it's very interesting about that, which is quite nice about it. But even guys like Tomlinson, I, I mean, if guys like Sterling, uh, Herndon, and Leggett all potentially have excellent preseasons, and you know they catch the ball well, they do perform well. I could potentially see him being cut. I mean, I do think he is more of a lock as a blocker, but if the others really come on as receivers, you know, I could see them, you know, keeping them, using Herndon as a blocker, and maybe using someone like Quali as like a swing tackle. Yeah, I, I, I like the jumbo package. I like, you know, you send Quali or Ijelana, whoever out there is a, as an extra blocker. But I, I'm always a fan, even though, you know, it's just maybe because I'm an old man, but uh, I feel like you gotta have a guy on the roster who can who can block and at least I, I wish actually that Tomlinson would have seen a few more targets in the passing game last year because as I said when he was targeted he did just fine he surprised me in camp um, during training camp because you know you look at his numbers in college he he was hardly ever targeted I think he made yeah. like 30, 30 catches his whole college career it was the University of Texas San Antonio or something like that I forget I think it was um, and then. Okay, yeah, UTEP. I knew it was uh, somewhere somewhere in Texas, El Paso, not San Antonio. Um, so, you know, he didn't see the ball a lot there, and then with, you know he didn't he didn't see the ball in Houston. Comes to the Jets, and then early in camp, well, not early in camp, but for most of the camp that I was there, I just thought I haven't really seen this guy have any drops. Like he, he's catching everything that comes his way, and you know he doesn't have to be a burner, but just catch the ball well enough to make the defense have to account for you. And I feel like you need a guy who can do that, who can be a blocker and who defenses have to be aware of, and not, not a guy who's solely a blocker. You know, you bring out Brent Quale, they there's no word, no need, you know, it's one less thing for the defense to have to worry about. So I, I, think, I think the addition of Herndon makes it slightly more likely that Tomlinson is let go. But I think that because Tomlinson, at least from what I've seen, is far and away – you know, a far better blocker than any other tight end on the roster. I think he's safe, but but time will tell. I mean, if Herndon comes in and and lights it up and, and does a great job as a blocker, that makes Tomlinson that much more expendable. And obviously, you're not gonna you're not gonna make uh, you know too many you're not you're not gonna carry too many tight ends. So it's 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 going to be an interesting situation, an interesting position position battle to watch. You know, and I'll be interested to see if uh, how Bucky Hodges does because. You know, it, Bucky Hodges in in that competition, but it, it's going to be it, it's a good group. I think they're going to I think they'll be more productive than ASJ was last year. For all the talk about how much the Jets are going to miss him, I don't see uh, I don't see any reason why this group shouldn't surpass last mm-hmm. year's group. And then, like you said, but, you want your tight end to be a red zone threat. That's one of the things you look for, especially with a rookie quarterback, someone that's reliable. And you mentioned it yourself; he barely caught any touchdowns toward the end of the year and had so many called back. 
that that is a problem when you put a tight end, especially with a young quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, and that's why I was I was a little bit surprised. Well, I shouldn't say surprised. I wasn't surprised that they did grab a young tight end in the draft because it just kind of somebody that you hope will grow with Darnold, um, you know, as they come along over, you know, what will hopefully be long, successful careers. And, you know, it, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be an exciting season. I, I, you know, I've I've heard a lot of people say, I heard Rich Smeany say it today, and I, I fully believe it. You just, just, just look at the rep count throughout OTAs and minicamp. You know, it's only OTAs and minicamp, but Darnold, they are taking a long look at him, and I think they will give him – Every chance to win this job, I think if he doesn't win the job, I think it's going to be based solely on the fact that, you know, it much is being made of the fact, and rightfully so, this team starts the season with three games in 11 days. And do you want a veteran quarterback to guide you through that first, that first two weeks of the season before things settle down and then turn it over to, to, to Sam Darnold? Because as I think about that, here's my, my new – Ideal scenario for the Jets, because they change. You know, one day I'm like, the best thing would be if Darnold just wins the competition right out of camp and they hit the ground running. You know, and that's kind of where I've been for a while now. But I thought about it today, and you think about the three games in 11 days, and you think about the veterans on the roster. Now my thought is, ideal scenario, Teddy Bridgewater wins the job out of camp. He starts the first three games. Say the Jets go two and one, even one and two. Um, but Bridgewater plays well, well enough that a team whose quarterback is bad or just gets injured, that you can trade Teddy for a two, maybe a conditional one, and then Darnold takes over from week four moving forward with, uh, with a few weeks of, of, you know, watching from the bench and, and learning from a veteran quarterback. That, you know, it'll change every week. Next week I'll say don't play him. The following <laughs> week I'll say start him week one. It's just uh, – the coaches have a big decision to make here, but I think they've already decided he's going to have every chance to win that job. They, I agree. And, yeah, well, I, no, go ahead. As I was well, talking about the quarterbacks, I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is – I was quite excited when they picked him up, especially with, you know, the not very much money that's tied into him because the potential is, you know, off the chart. I mean, if he doesn't pan out, I think they only owe him, what, $500,000, which in the NFL is yeah, pocket money. It's, ridic- it's ridiculous, pocket money. But if, if he really pans out, I mean, he's still only 25 years old. He was – pretty good in his first two years. He was progressively getting better and better. He always made good yep. reads. He even took his team to the playoffs in his second year. And if, mm-hmm. if his knee can be better, I mean, it's quite exciting to see what you get. But specifically Sam Darnold, I, I, I like you said, I mean, every Jet fan is just so excited. I'm super excited. The Jets, I, I think they're more excited than anybody. <laughs> you look at McCagnan, he, there's articles about how, you know, he loved Darnold for years and never thought yeah. he'd get the opportunity to get him and that he's been yeah. scouting him. It's almost like their best possible, like the love of their life fell into their laps. And it's been wonderful watching because, like they've said, they one of the direct quotes is they've thrown everything at him and he hasn't flinched he's eating everything up he's absorbing everything he's learning each day he's getting better and he's arguably in debate to win the starting job which if you look at is huge because look at the cardinals uh they're talking about sam bradford is basically a lock you look at the browns they say tyrod taylor is basically a lock only the jets are the real ones where they're saying the rookie might start week one yeah i i think i think we'll uh 
it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. I'd, I'd be surprised if, uh, even in Cleveland, if you don't see uh, if you don't see Mayfield at some point during the year, if if Don if uh, not Donald if if Tyrod Taylor does win that job, but uh, but either way, yeah, the Jets publicly have said he's got a shot to win this thing, and as he should because let's face it, you know it's not as if they have a, a quarterback on the roster who's done enough, you know even though Teddy's had a couple nice years, they don't they don't have a a guy in this roster obviously who's, who's who's locked in as a starter, and I, I the, like I said, that that's my new dream scenario. My new dream scenario is Teddy starts weeks one through three. He plays well enough that teams are, are interested in him. You, you deal him for a two or a conditional one, and then the Jets go from Teddy to, to Sam with an extra first or second round pick in their pocket, and uh, and you use that in the draft to address your pass rusher and your uh, left tackle needs because I think uh, I think after this year, if you can get a left tackle, you either move Beecham to to a different spot or you, you cut ties with him and move on. But thank you so much. I just want to uh, take a minute and thank Harrison for joining us. Um, Harrison, so happy to have you on board with JetNation.com. Um, keep up the great work. And go ahead and give out your Twitter handle, see if we can, uh, we can grow your followers a little bit here. That's, I say uh, any time, the rare occasions I mention Twitter, um, two things I'm terrible at, well, promoting myself and, and, and promoting the, the, uh, the, the iTunes reviews. Uh, for those of you listening, check us out on, on iTunes. Leave us some reviews, Jet Nation Radio. And uh, go ahead and uh, go ahead and give out your Twitter handle there, Harrison. Uh, yeah, guys, feel free to follow me. You know, I'm always writing about the Jets, talking about things going on. As uh, Glenn said, I am a writer for the site. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Harrison underscore Glazer. So first name, underscore last name. You can always find me. Through Glenn's page, you could always find me through the Jet Nation page, and I'm excited to be on board, and I'm glad to keep writing with you guys, and I'm excited for a great year. Let's really hope that the Jets can pull this one together and just have a phenomenal season. Absolutely, and my hope, Harrison, is that one, uh, once we get these training camp dates sorted out and I head out there to Florham Park, that you and uh, you and myself, uh, the uh, all the new writers and site owner can all get together for a couple drinks and uh, and maybe a little bit of pizza. Sounds like a great idea. All right, take care, Harrison. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Take care, man. Thank you. All right, so that is Harrison Glazer, as I said, our newest writer uh, for JetNation.com. Excited to have him on board. Very passionate, knowledgeable guy. And now we go right back to uh, right back to the phones for our next guest. You know him well if you're a listener, a regular listener to our show. We're going to bring on Christian Dyer. Christian writes for the covers the NFL, meaning the Jets and Giants, for Metro New York. And uh, we're going to talk a little about the O line, a little bit about quarterbacks. And uh, how you doing today, Christian? I, I, I like how you uh, describe Harrison as passionate and knowledgeable, and no such description for me, Glenn, which is, I think is all too fitting for this segment. Well, I, I wrap it up with with the with, with with the goodness, you know. I bring it on okay. because you work for, and then when you leave, I tell everyone how we wonderful build you are, and what, you know. We build yeah, into it's, it. Yeah, yeah. You should hear the great things I say when you're not listening, Christian. It's it's nonstop. Uh, <laughs> how do you how do you how do you how do you know I'm not listening? I, I'm 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 making a safe assumption. You're a busy man, Christian. You're writing about the Jets, <laughs> the Giants, the Red Bulls. Uh, I, I know you said I know you said you're not following the World Cup, but did you happen to catch the England game today? 
Well, I mean, I am following the World Cup. It's just uh, it seemed like that first round was just dragging on. And I did catch the England game uh, for, first time in, what, three, four World Cups that they've won on penalty kicks. So, yeah, that that was pretty impressive from England. And it's a young England team, too. This is a team with a lot of 19, 20, 21-year-olds. Uh, we're going to be hearing from England a lot. And when the World Cup's here in the United States in eight years, that England team's going to be in their prime. They're going to be scary good. And they won the yeah, under might be playing the World Life. Cup and the under-20 World Cup, too. So, Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, on, on, on to uh, the, the business of the day. The other football. Talking some Jet stuff. Oh, sorry, I thought I, thought I cut you off there, Christian. Sorry. But, uh, so, uh, I spoke briefly with, uh, with Harrison about the, the quarterback situation. And, you know, Sam Darnold, is he going to start? When should he start? Um, and, you know, and this is going to be debated for the rest of the off season. It's probably going to be debated throughout camp. Um, but one thing that I found interesting, I, I went back, Christian, uh, not too far because let's face it. I mean, it, it feels like the NFL is changing so frequently uh, and so fast that you feel like if you look back ten, twelve years, it was a different game. Um, so I went back. I went back five years. I actually went back six because uh, five years ago there were no quarterbacks taken in the top five. Um, but as we know, the draft is an, an exact science. Kind of started started the show with, with that. It, it's never going to be a hundred percent. But I feel like the last the last five drafts where we've seen quarterbacks taken in the top five, the hit rate has been pretty good. Um, you know, of course there have been some busts and a couple. You know, like a guy like Trubisky, he's still a question mark. He's only played a year. But you go back a couple of years, you have Golf and Wentz, who both look like they're going to be phenomenal. Jameis Winston, more of a character issue than an on field issue. Marcus Mariota has been all right. He hasn't, doesn't have a great supporting cast, but he still looks like a guy that they're going to be able to, you know, build around and, and, and move forward for a few more years. Blake Bortles, of course, probably the worst of the group. And then the year before that, they were, again, 2013, no QBs in the top five. Uh, the year before that, Andrew Luck at one, RG3 at two. RG3 looked phenomenal. Then he, you know, gets his knee wrecked and he has to change his game. Not quite the same player. But really, going back five years, quarterbacks taking in the top three, pretty good hit rate, pretty pretty good chance you're getting a guy, you know, who, who's gonna be who's gonna be around for a little while. Um, and wh- where do you think? Where would you? I don't, I don't want to say rank them all, um, but, but which of these players do you think a Darnold would would compare most favorably to? Well, listen, it's, a, it's an interesting question, and Sam Darnold is, is younger, considerably younger, than several of those quarterbacks you mentioned, a Goff and a Wentz and some of the other ones, uh, perhaps coming out a bit more polished. I mean, this is a guy who's, who's going to be turning 21 uh, in a couple months' time. He, he's, he's not there yet. He, he, there's still work that needs to be done. He's developed. And I think he's also, unlike maybe some of these other situations, uh, Philadelphia may be a little bit different, um, in terms of not just the expectation level, but he's going to be able to have the chance to sit there and develop. And if he's not ready uh, come the end of August, Josh McCown or Teddy Bridgewater, in all likelihood, as we talked about last week, it's going to be McCown uh, who will be the week one starter as Bridgewater uh, could be making himself trade bait at this point. But uh, there's not going to be the pressure for him to step in right away and lead this team. I I also think that, uh, you know, we talk an awful lot about expectation levels around Sam Darnold and that there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. He's going to have to lead the franchise. 
I think the bar, Glenn, for this organization has set itself so low for what it wants from a starting quarterback. I mean, there was hysteria about Ryan Fitzpatrick a couple years ago around this time and what he was bringing to the table. And and I know Fitzpatrick had one of the best passing seasons in Jets franchise history with the yardage, the, the, the touchdown numbers, the completion percentage. By so many metrics, Ryan Fitzpatrick was phenomenal. But we're talking about Sam Darnold having to live up to Ryan Fitzpatrick type numbers in recent Jets era history. That's just how mm-hmm. bad the quarterback's situation has been. So, you know, I think there's going to be pressure on Sam Darnold, but in many ways, if he's average, if he's competent his first year uh, with the Jets, I think that's actually going to probably maybe relieve some of the pressure, not add necessarily to it. And, you know, we could talk about the top five quarterbacks, but. I even think looking at what Teddy Bridgewater did in 2014, the guy was a couple notches over 64% completion percentage, just under 3,000 yards passing. The touchdown to interceptions, I believe, was like 14-12. You know, that would be a pretty good rookie season for Sam Darnold. And even what Derek Carr has done with the Raiders, uh, his rookie year, um, you know, that was a little over 3,000 yards. I think it was 3,200 yards. He was uh, 21 touchdowns, 24 interceptions, probably a lot more game appearances than we would imagine Sam Darnold getting his rookie year. But again, these are numbers that are saying that he doesn't have to go out there and be a world beater. If, if Teddy Bridgewater stays healthy, he's probably the starting quarterback of the Vikings, and they don't make that move for Sam Bradford. If, uh, you know, Derek Carr doesn't get beat up behind that offensive line last year on a team that really just kind of fell apart uh, for good chunks of the year, you know, we may be talking about him being a 4,500-yard passer. Uh, this is a guy that still hasn't topped 4,000 yards passing in a game. So I don't think that the expectation level for success for Sam Darnold is going to be him necessarily coming in and being a Carson Wentz. But when you look at some of the other quarterbacks taken recently in the first round, early, early in the second round, the expectation level is going to be to come out there, be competent, be average for maybe a couple seasons, and then fully develop. I, I don't think that Jets fans should necessarily expect that this guy's going to be a Pro Bowl starter uh, by year one. Yeah, I think, you know, that's one thing that does work to his advantage is that as sad as it is, how bad Jets quarterbacks have been. Jets Jets fans are just going to want to see some competence um, and, you know, see some progress. Even going back, you know, there's still fans who um, who talk about Mark Sanchez like he was Joe Montana because he won some playoff games, and they're completely they're willing to completely overlook the fact that he threw 12 touchdowns and 20 interceptions and completed about 52% of his passes just because the team was winning and completely ignoring the fact that he had the best O-line and defense in the NFL. Jets fans just want to see the team win with a young quarterback under center. Um, and even if he doesn't play well, they're fine with that. But I think, you know, obviously they need they need better than what, he, what Sanchez brought, and I think that he's a guy who could do that. But um, Well, listen, listen Mark from Sanchez's the rookie year, the, 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 the Jets won with Mark Sanchez the rookie year. He, they backed into the playoffs, They you know, by the skin mm-hmm. of their teeth. I, I think if Sam Darnold was able to maybe not replicate some of those numbers, uh, and, and Mark Sanchez's numbers are, were kind of pitiful uh, his freshman year in the NFL, but if he was able to replicate something in terms of the excitement, in terms of making the team competent and relevant, uh, to, to me, the most important audience that Sam Darnold's playing for uh, – isn't necessarily Todd Bowles, Mike McCagnard. It isn't 70,000 Jets fans on any given Sunday. It's a batch of free agents that are going to be hitting the open market in 2019. If he can look the part, if he can act the part, 
look what Mitch Trubisky's uh, done in Chicago, and, and he didn't even have all that great of a year. Seven, seven no, touchdowns, seven interceptions, 2,100 yards, 2,200 yards, somewhere around there. I'm sure someone out there has got that stat. But all of a sudden they're talking about Mitch Trubisky because he wasn't horrible um, being the future of the Chicago Bears franchise. If Sam Darnold can come out there and do better than what Trubisky has, uh, you know, which was kind of like mid to upper 50% completion percentage, maybe better touchdown numbers, a little bit better yardage, you're going to be able to sell free agents on the fact that this is a good defense with a tremendous back end, a pretty decent pass rush with Leonard Williams involved. There are some decent pieces there at wide receiver. We talked about it a couple weeks ago with, with some of the talent with the, with the Robbie Anderson, uh, Terrell Pryor, um, Quincy Anunua, who's going to be available there. They've got a first-round pick next year. And if you have a quarterback who you can look at and say, okay, I think I can win with this guy. I think this guy is going to be uh, an above-average NFL quarterback by year two or year three. Three agents are going to want to come to this team. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I feel like more times than not, you know, money will lure guys. But it, it doesn't hurt to have a, you know, a, a good young quarterback. I was a little surprised with Trubisky because, as you said, it's kind of he's more at this point kind of reputation than than what he than actual production. Yeah, he's um, a I game manager right now. It, two two thousand yards, seven touchdowns, seven picks, fifty nine percent completion. So he didn't set the world on fire. He didn't really really play that well, but um, he you know just the fact that he's in place, maybe that maybe that bit of stability is 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 enticing to to a younger receiver or a youngish receiver who may hit the market, but shifting from from the quarterbacks to the offensive line, the guys who are going to be doing the blocking up front for for Sam Darnold. Interesting to look at the Jets. We you know, we've talked about the fact that it's a unit that struggled last year. We've talked, you know, there were some injuries. There's you know, is there a good is there a good scheme fit when you talk about Carpenter and his own scheme, you talk about Winter's injury. Um, but when you look at the middle of that line, those three guys, uh, you know, with along with Spencer Long, Spencer Long, Carpenter, Brian Winters, all three of those guys, if they don't, you know, if they don't significantly improve from last year, and Carpenter and Winters, I mean, and if Long can't stay healthy, all three of those guys could be could be let go with with no cap hit. Um, Brian Winters and Spencer Long specifically. They're, they're, they have exact same the exact same cap situations. This, of course, according to OverTheCap.com, um, Brian Winters and Spencer Long could both be cut with no cap hit, and they would each save the Jets six point five million. So you'd be looking at thirteen million in savings there. And then Kelvin Beecham, who, as I've said, I think at left tackle, I think we agree, he's he's not dominant. But he's a guy you could live with for another year or two. Um, but even he would be, you'd have a one point five million hit. But then you'd save another, you'd save eight million with him. Um, so there's some money to be saved if these guys don't really, really step it up and play well. Because a lot of them didn't, or a few of them didn't last year, and some of them couldn't stay healthy. But it's not out beyond the realm of possibility that Sam Darnold could enter year two with two or three or even four new starters on the O line. Yeah, and I think out of those names we talked about, certainly uh, Beecham is is not the 
marquee left tackle. And this was an organization that was so spoiled by Debrickashaw Ferguson, um, you know, kind of became a little bit of a cult hero. And, um, you know, it was certainly benefited, I think, from being an alternate on a bunch of Pro Bowl teams and, and being able to make some of those Pro Bowls really kind of padded his career numbers and perhaps his reputation a bit. But he was a solid above average, uh, you know, kind of in that discussion to be a top eight, top 10 left tackle in the NFL. And uh, Beecham, I think, was without a doubt an improvement over Ryan Claddy from two years ago. Uh, oh, you know, yeah. That was a situation where we thought maybe things would kind of work. It would kind of click. It was a move that um, at the time, I don't think you could fault Mike McCagnon for. Uh, it, it was a roll of the dice. It didn't work out. It, it, it was pretty bad, in fact. Uh, but Beecham's been better than that, and he's not going to get Sam Darnold killed uh, in his rookie year in the NFL. But, you know, the rest of the guys, Carpenter, you talked about it. Scheme may not be the best fit. He's still relatively solid. He's he's not necessarily bad in the run game, but he's not a guy that you see there uh, at left guard being a building block. Uh, Spencer Long, if he can stay healthy, um, you know, if, if, and it seems like Washington's just every year hit by the injury bug on, on both sides of the line, but maybe a new system, new strength and conditioning staff uh, might just be able to benefit him. If he can stay healthy, the, the Jets could have a solution for the next few years at center, certainly with Spencer Long, who, who's been incredibly solid. And to me, if, if he stays healthy, he'll be the under-the-radar free agent signing uh, of this year for Mike McCagney because the potential yeah. is there for him to be a contributor. And, and Brian Winters, you know, he had an injury since week two. And, and Winters, when you're talking about somebody who, uh, you know, coming out, we were all talking about from the combine process, and I think Dan Leberfeld was the one who kind of really originally hit on this. Uh, he's a guy with shorter arms than most interior offensive linemen. And when you have an abdominal injury and you're requiring uh, your, your body to kind of spin and twist and put together a certain level of strength and you don't necessarily have that wrong grasp, but you're going to be power based. Uh, it, it was a challenge. And I think that abdominal injury hurt Brian Winters more than say it would a James Carpenter on the other side of the line. Uh, when healthy two years ago, we were talking about Brian Winters uh, being somebody who was going to be a solution at right guard. I, I think he's got the ability to, get back to where he was two, three years ago, and if not, improve on that. But, uh, again, it's going to come down to him uh, making sure that uh, the injuries, the, the those types of things, the bugs that kind of got him last year, that that doesn't pop up again in 2008. Like you said, he could be a very easy um, cap cut. Yeah, and and I, I think that, you know, there, there were some fans who weren't thrilled with the deal the Jets gave him, they felt like he was an average guard who got a little bit who was slightly overpaid. But in all reality, the way I look at it, when you look around the league right now, how bad offensive lines are, even a competent O lineman is going to be, you know, is going to command a little more in, in free agency than say, you know, uh, uh, you know, a competent, uh, competent linebacker. You know, where line, it's not as if linebacker play is getting people killed every week. You just when you're drafting these guys out of college, you have so many guys coming from these spread systems that they're taking. You know, you used to have so many plug-and-play offensive linemen. Now a lot of these guys need time because they're coming from these college systems where they never had to hold the block for more than two seconds because the ball Absolutely. just comes out so quick. So these guys need and, to learn and, to play at the pro and level. They're not as big, and they're not as big either because of that. Yep. Because in the spread they're, system, they want they're, these they're lean, quick offensive linemen. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So I, I think that. 
with, for a guy like Brian Winders, that works to his advantage when he's coming up on free agency. If you're the Jets, you're looking at it and saying, well, he's an average to above. Even if you just want to say average guard, that's still a lot better than the kid we're going to replace him with out of college who might need three years to get to the level where Brian Winters already is, and it's worth paying that little bit extra money. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, the good news is if you're the Jets, you've got a little bit of depth right there at the guard position. You know, you've you got Brent, uh, uh, Brent Qualley, who, who's going to be uh, somebody who's he's got a couple starts in the NFL, maybe yep. not necessarily polished still yet. I don't think he's going to be anything more, ever more than a depth guy, but he's going to be good. Dakota Dozier, who is a little bit undersized as a guard. You, know, you talk about someone who's in a spread system. He's coming from a college Furman that only has ever put a handful of guys into the NFL over the past decade. But again, yeah. somebody who's been in the system understands things. So at least there's some depth at the interior positions. The question mark is if a Brandon shell goes down, if a Kelvin Beecham goes down, not quite sure tackle. I know Ben Ilana, uh, you know, has, has been here. It seems like, uh, since the Mangini days, not quite, but, uh, you know, that's the depth right there at tackle. So that would be the question mark. If I'm the Jets, maybe one of these undrafted free agent guys steps up, but not quite sure. Yeah. And that, I wanted to talk to you about that. I know we, uh, we talked, uh, right after the draft when the Jets were bringing in their undrafted free agents, we talked about Dakota Shepley, um, who is a kid who played his, his college ball in Canada. He ended up being the fifth overall pick in the CFL draft, but of course opted to go to camp with the Jets. And really, he's a guy that it's you know when you get these guys who play in Canada, there's not a lot of film on them, not even you know games. But uh, someone there is a, a six or seven minute clip highlight film of him um, playing in college, and of course you can't gauge a lot from highlight film. But what you can see from Shepley is that he's a, he moves really well for a guy his size, and I think he could be a guy if, if a, a James Carpenter or a Brian Winters doesn't come back next year. Maybe Shepley is someone who fits that off that, that zone-blocking scheme a little bit better because of the way he moves. Um, but talk, talk about some of those young, those young old linemen, some of the undrafted guys. Yeah, Sheffley's one of the two guys that I think really has a good chance uh, of of challenging for the 53-man roster. Maybe Tufts is still one of these guys on the practice squad because another team might have interest. But you mentioned it before, you know, he's athletic, ran a 5.05 time in his 40. He's got long arms. He has a frame. And so oftentimes, you know, we're going to talk about one of the other undrafted guys in a minute who's got some bad weight on him and who needs to shed down a little bit. But Shepley's a guy who I think could, could add 10 to 15 good pounds of muscle to his frame easily, if not a little bit more. He's got to work on the technique. Didn't play at a high level. But when you talk about some of the intrinsic things in terms of he loves the game, he plays to the whistle, uh, he's a guy who his coaches say, uh, you know, enjoyed uh, being in the film room, enjoys learning about the game of football. There's going to be nuances here. He has to understand things that are going to be done differently at the NFL level, uh, certainly than, than what he was experiencing in Canada, both in terms of competition, but also just in terms of the way the game is played and their rules. Uh, with all that being said, though, he, he's a guy who you look at and you say, I want him coming off the bus first. He, he, he's athletic. Uh, he's strong. He's got like a little bit of that country boy kind of strength to him. 
but it's going to take him at least, and here's where I'll differ with you. I'm not sure he makes Brian Winters expendable, certainly not this year, and I don't think next year, but I think by year three, he's somebody who uh, perhaps could progress and, and, and make a couple of the guys there, like we talked about, a quality of Dakota Dozier, could make them expendable and then challenge for a starting spot from there on out. But I think he's a minimum two, if not three-year project for the Jets. Yes, certainly not this year. I was thinking more in terms of next year, but maybe it is maybe it is a third year because of the fact again he's coming coming out of Canada, slightly different game, and and let's face it, much you know it, it basically it's almost like a guy coming out of D two, uh, you know, in terms of small school, low level competition. But, uh, sure. but again, that's what showed up on film to me is he was he was he was so dominant that you kind of you, you knew the the way he was just ragdolling guys. You kind of understood that he's playing, you know, guys that would have no business at a, at a big <laughs> school and, and would never sniff the NFL. But uh, but the physical attributes are there, and, and it sounds like he's got the right demeanor, the right attitude. So he's a guy down the road who who may be a good fit. But we'll see if he sneaks on the roster or if he if he manages to to hide on the practice squad. But any other young guys on that O line, unrestricted guys they brought on that you want to mention? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's one that I think in one only that I really think has a really good shot at making some waves and making a deep push into training camp, if not the 53-man roster. Uh, it might come at the expense of Shepley just because you can only carry so many uh, unproven offensive linemen on, on the roster. But it's Austin Golson, the, the kid from Auburn, transfer from Ole Miss. I mean, he played in his senior year every position, if I'm correct, uh, but right guard. And not just played, but started at those positions. So center, left tackle, left guard, uh, and right tackle. So he's got good position versatility. Some of that, though, came back to bite him a little bit just because he was getting moved around so much. He didn't necessarily have consistency, but he's. you talk about being athletic. You talk about somebody who can play multiple positions. That's valuable in today's NFL. And whether he ends up at a tackle or I think more likely as a guard, uh, truth be told, uh, you know, that's going to be helpful that if he can also be somebody who – you know, can take a few snaps uh, at center if you need him. He's got that versatility that, that, yes, he can play guard, but if an injury were to happen um, that he could end up playing center, then all of a sudden you're looking at the Jets being able to essentially cover two, if not three positions on the line with one guy. And I think that's what Austin Golson brings uh, to this team. Uh, he's tough. He's feisty. He's another guy, like we said, just like Dakota Shepley, who, who plays to the whistle. Um, he's going to need a year or to uh, also in the strength and conditioning program, not necessarily to add bulk, although he could get a little bit stronger, but um, you know, he's a little sloppy around the middle. And I say that as someone who's, you know, now going to be pushing 37 in a couple months, I'm a little sloppy around the middle too. So, uh, you know, I, I know right where you're at, Austin will we'll hit a Nutra system pretty hard this fall, I promise. But, um, you know, I think he's somebody who, if you're looking for him to immediately make an impact on the two deep, he's not going to be that guy. Very few offensive linemen do that originally, let alone, as we were saying, very few guys, uh, you know, in their rookie year coming from an undrafted situation and somebody who I think needs to settle on uh, perhaps either one of the guard positions and being able to plug in at center. 
he's going to need a year to develop, but I think that he's somebody who you look at his upside, you look at his potential, his athleticism, his versatility. There's an awful lot of value to him. I'm not sure if he's going to grow Glenn into being a starter with the Jets, but I think he's somebody that you could keep within your organization for three, four years, cover an awful lot of positions, and perhaps save you a little bit of cap space that you could put somewhere else into upgrading the roster. He's somebody I'm watching to see make this camp team. Yeah, and you mentioned the cap space, and also, you know, that that's the thing, is, is being able to maybe save a roster spot if you can plug him in in that many places. And, I, you know, for me personally, I, I hope he, I hope somebody, I hope one of these young linemen um, gets a look at center and, and makes this roster as a backup center because I'm not a big Travis Swanson guy. Uh, yeah, there's a the question made a whole lot of there sense with his the injuries and everything. Yeah, injuries. I I haven't watched a ton of him, but when when there was rumored interest, I, I hopped on the All Twenty Two and watched a few Lions games, and I just I I came away and I I just thought I I feel like I just watched Wesley Johnson for three games. Um, he wasn't a whole lot better. That's what my eyeballs told me. I was curious and went to see PFF what they thought of him, and they had him kind of rated. He was only seven or eight slots, I think, ahead of Wesley Johnson. He was also one of the worst centers in the NFL. Um, some people say there was this excuse, that excuse, and, and maybe maybe he had something going on. But from what I saw, um, was not impressed at all. And for that reason, I hope somebody finds a way to, you know, it, it, it's it's a good sign I think if somebody finds a way to beat him out and make this team as a, a backup center, you know, who can play a little bit of guard, as you mentioned with Golson. But that's uh, that that's it's it's a really good point in what he'll bring. You know, whether it's the the financial relief or the cap or the the roster flexibility, but some good stuff again from you, Christian, tonight. As always, just want to say thanks so much for joining us. Um, and go ahead and give out your your Twitter handle there for for those of us looking to give you a follow. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Christian R Dyer. That's Christian with a K K R I S T I A N R D Y E R. I always take pizza recommendations. Like I said, I'm a little sloppy in the middle, so. Well, Ahab, you got you got to shoot me the name of the uh, the pizza place you were plugging in in Florham Park a few weeks Nona's ago. Nona's Pizzeria. I say I say it every time I've been on with you over the past month, Glenn. I don't know what's going on. What, what, I have I don't know ABD. if you have, I, I don't I don't, if you have it, mozzarella in your it's ear or whatever, but it's Nona's on Tuesday nights. Nona's Pizzeria in Florham Park. It will be the best grandma slice you've ever had, the best margarita slice you've ever had. Their characters in there. It's going to set you back, you know, a little bit more than the average pizzeria. It's worth it. Nona's Pizzeria, Florham Park. I'm not going to say it again. Hey, listen, it, it set me back. Christian, I fly to Dublin because there's a place that sells New York-style pizza there that's delicious, and it's only an hour flight. So I'm sure Nona's won't set me, quite, set me back quite as much as a flight <laughs> to Dublin. Um, but, again, Christian, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, look forward to having you on next week, and and listen, we're we're that much closer to to actual actual football and news and things to report, and I'll let the speculation end and let the real news begin. Thanks for joining us, Christian. My pleasure. We'll talk next week. All and right, happy take care. fourth to everyone out there. Same to you, Christian. Thank you. Take care. Yeah, the fourth fourth has a little bit different meaning uh, <laughs> where I live now here in England. Um, I actually got out of my car the other day, pulled into my driveway, and uh, said hi to my neighbor. Hey, how you doing? You know, nice weather. Which ridic- they're having a ridiculous heat wave right now, which is fantastic. I've lived in England for seven years on and off, and this is the first time I've – I can't remember the last time it rained. 
it's been like three weeks since it rained, and saying it's going to be a couple more weeks. Anyway, I almost asked my English neighbor if he had any plans for the 4th of July. Uh, glad I caught myself before I asked him because I would have felt like an idiot. But anyway, on that note, I hope you all do have a fantastic 4th of July. Enjoy your barbecues. Enjoy your fireworks. Be safe. And uh, as I said to Christian, that much closer to NFL football, you know, training camp or not, uh, this is the, the last month of the off season that will not consist, that, that will not have NFL football, you know, Hall of Fame game and all that, and then uh, training camp's getting underway. It's uh, it's exciting times, exciting time to be a Jets fan. And thank you all so much for tuning in, and we look forward to uh, getting getting with you again next week. Everybody, take care. <laughs>